Hello, I'm Juliet Mann. Welcome to the Agenda podcast, CGTN Europe's one-stop shop for smart, in-depth discussion on the issues that really matter in the world today. And in this episode, we're tackling one of the biggest challenges facing the planet, sustainability. For decades, scientists have warned that unless we dramatically reduce our carbon footprint, we're going to destroy the planet. Businesses appear to be listening, but how can we produce everything we need without harming the environment? Yara International is one of the world's largest fertilizer companies, and it knows that innovation is essential if it's to help feed the planet in a sustainable way. CEO Sven Tor Holzether told me just how he plans to go about that. Well, we're in the agriculture sector, and uh, when we see both the the impact now on uh, food security, on on the on the climate, uh, we see that. Uh, this is something that no one can do alone, whether it's a company, a government or an organization. It's about uh, collaboration across the value chain and, and uh, really lifting this uh, together. Uh, agriculture or the whole food system represents uh, 30% of greenhouse gas emissions. So we're not going to be able to, to reach the Paris Agreement unless we solve agriculture. So this is um, really a key topic to discuss. And it is a topic that's been pushed up the international agenda, perhaps because there's just so much in the news, you know, extreme weather events, uh, we've had droughts, we've had floods, um, we've got the energy crisis, supply chain issues, all of that coming together at the same time. Um, but are we at a point now, really, where, where businesses and governments are, are taking this seriously enough? Well, uh, it is at the top of the agenda uh, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, after decades now of uh, reducing hunger, uh, the number of people that are facing acute hunger has uh, doubled since uh, 2019. Uh, there are, uh, there's a human being dying every four seconds from, from hunger. Uh, and we're in 2023. This is uh, it's tragic. It's not. It's not necessary. It is possible to to solve this. Uh, so, so it's on the top of the agenda for all the wrong reasons. But I think the awareness that we have now uh, should trigger wide actions in order to to start to improve the food system, uh, both from a climate perspective, but also from a hunger perspective. So, what innovations? What new technology have you been making use of that that that, that are helping from from the Yara point of view that you could maybe roll out more broadly? Well, it starts with our product. Uh, we're selling a premium advanced fertilizer that uh, gives better crop yields, better quality food, lowers the, the, the climate the footprint of the farmers, and, and we've reduced our own carbon footprint by 50% since uh, 2005. And now with the, with the use of technology, digital tools, uh, you know, uh, by, by the use of smartphones, now you could put competence and knowledge in the hand of the farmers that uh, just a few years ago would only be available to large-scale farmers. Uh, I believe there's like 600 million farmers uh, in the world, more than 200 million in, in, in China. I mean, you can start to communicate that kind of knowledge widespread. It's, it's amazing what can be, be done and using satellite imagery, precision use of uh, input uh, to, to maximize the yields. Uh, we're, we're really at an exciting time right now. It is exciting, but, but it, it does sound very expensive. And you're talking about farmers in remote communities in maybe disadvantaged parts of the world. They're, they're not all that digitally savvy. 
Um, and and that, that's a big thing. I know at Davos they've got plans to, to help a billion people um, with their digital lot. Um, but how do you address that? It's a huge challenge. Yeah, but it is changing uh, now and it's changing uh, rapidly. So uh, better f there are still a lot of farmers that don't have access to smartphones, but most have access to a mobile phone or in a community where they have access to that. And, and, and we can use that to, to, to drive technology. And, you know, we see the impact. And uh, I, I was in Kenya uh, just... Uh, a couple of months ago and when I see the impact that we can have on uh, helping with the right type of fertilizer because you need to add the nutrition that the soil needs is about focus on soil health when you have a healthy soil you get a healthy crop and you, you see it's not incremental increases you're talking about doubling in, in, the, in the first uh, season and I've seen uh, examples of five six times uh, as high yields as well and, and then it's about creating these businesses farmers are business people they want to be business people so we need to have incentives and what I see is that once we get the technology out there and the competence and the knowledge this isn't uh, expensive, it has an income side as well, and uh, so it is a profitable pr proposal for the, for the farmers. What do you think there needs to change in, in the global food supply system to, to really become more sustainable? Well, I, I think we're at a stage now where individual action is not enough. We need to see whole value chain from input provider to farmer, uh, to distributors, to retailers, and all the way to consumers. If you think the whole value chain, the step isn't that large, but it, it requires collaboration and it requires uh, trust. And, and that's something uh, we're unfortunately in short supply of. So we need to create that transparency, to create the trust in the, in the system. And, and what I've seen when we get this done at the, throughout the full value chain, has a huge impact and not that big a cost uh, either. And uh, indeed, the, the cost of inaction is uh, much greater than the cost of uh, action right now. And, and we see this across so many uh, countries uh, as well. And uh, you see in, in our um, Chinese business, we, we uh, just opened up our new R&D center in, uh, and digital center in, um, in Shanghai now. Uh, the awareness now that uh, China is also driving in, in terms of soil health as well and carbon sequestration, a lot is happening here now. It's, it's about technology, it's about co cooperation, it's about thinking full value chains. So you've mentioned Kenya, you've mentioned China. Uh, where, where's your core focus going to be uh, in the short to medium term? Well, we're, we're a global uh, company where our products go to. Oh, but there'll be some markets that are more exciting and more lucrative than others. <laughs> well, for a company that sells to 160 countries, uh, you know, we, we, we built our whole presence. We, we started out in, in Norway uh, 118 years ago, and uh, we've been focused on exports uh, the whole time. But uh, uh, whether it's in, in Europe, uh, South America, North America, Asia now, uh, we've established a presence in, in India as well. And, and, and for China, we've been there. We sent our first product to China 110 years ago. Uh, so imagine that. Uh, and uh, we, we are putting a lot of resources and it's an important market for us where we're selling uh, advanced fertilizers that really have a, a very significant impact both on crop yields but also uh, nutritional content the climate footprint as well so, so we are adding and, and still uh, continuing to invest in China. I think we're going to need 60% more food aren't we by um, 2050 because the population is, is growing so fast and we've, we've hit 
eight billion um, towards the end of last year. Um, you've mentioned you're in all of these countries. You're, you're, you're talking at, at um, grassroots level. Um, but what are you doing specifically to, to help feed the future? Yeah, we need 60% more food. Uh, and not only is that doable, we can even do that on less land than what we're doing right now uh, by becoming more productive, releasing land, turning it back into, into nature. Uh, for me, uh, the solution is uh, in the soil, focusing on soil health, because if you have the right uh, composition in the soil with the increasing or, uh, soil organic matter, if you have the right uh, nutrients, then you have also healthy crop and by doing that you, you add to biodiversity and uh, and you get more nutritious uh, food as well because our bodies absorb that, these nutrients as well we are a product of the food that we eat as well so so this is uh, possible but then we need to use technology and we need to direct incentives to support farmers not to put additional burdens on on farmers and if you get that right i think that's an important part of uh, doing this at scale and doing it quickly. It's interesting you talk about that support for farmers because there will be different expectations and demands from, from your different markets. And talk to me about that Chinese market in particular. Well, in, uh, in, in China, we, we, we see a lot is uh, happening right now in terms of uh, precision farming, uh, focus on the nutritional content in the food as well, increasing productivity. And uh, a lot of um, the farming in China is done by smallholder farmers. Uh, I believe 210 million smallholder farmers in uh, in China. So, so that focus helping them to become more productive. But here, I think with our agronomic competence, we have a thousand agronomists in in, in the area. So, if we can translate all that knowledge into help for uh, for the for the farmers uh, that works in their uh, plots, uh, I think that's uh, something that can really make a, a difference and something that we go to work for uh, every, every day to, to help the farmers, being a farmer-centric uh, company and also being a voice of uh, farmers uh, in, in, in terms of uh, both development of technology and solutions, but also to create incentives, whether that is in, in China or, or, or globally. We're in Davos at the World Economic Forum. It's a very busy place. Everyone's got places to be and people to see. But if you had one message to give to world leaders here, what would it be? Well, um, it's the message on, uh, on climate. Uh, we're um, the first generation that can really feel and see the impact of climate change. And we are the last generation where only will stays in the way of uh, doing something about it. So it's about accelerating this. Uh, we, we, we've been through some uh, really big challenges globally right now where we haven't been prepared enough as a, as a world. Uh, and um, now for the, for, the, for the climate crisis, and, and we see it from the UN Secretary General uh, as well, and when he talks about uh, cold red for uh, humanity, we, we need to really step up our, our efforts uh, and no one can do this alone. The longer we wait, the bigger the problem. So uh, let's turn all the talk and the intentions now into very clear actions and to do that at scale. Lots of reports are coming out at Davos. Organisations use that as, as an opportunity. And I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, Oxfam have come out with their, their inequality report. And they've said there should be a windfall tax on rich people. There should be a windfall tax on energy companies. What's your take on that? 
Well, uh, I haven't been able to to read the whole report in in detail. I saw the headlines. The concept, uh, the concept. The, but the concept uh, that uh, the, the wealthier should pay more, uh, I support that. Uh, we see now how much of the wealth creation in the last two years have gone to the one percent. Uh, Richest, uh, and, and uh, we see it so clearly in our space, in, uh, in food, uh, that is moving in the wrong direction. There are more people uh, facing hunger now than, than two years ago. So it's, th- there is something wrong with the distribution of the, of the wealth, and that needs to be dealt with. Uh, uh, how we do that, uh, I, I, th- I think we, uh, we should debate uh, that. Uh, we, we're doing... Uh, a lot from our side in the business. We see that as part of our responsibility. We have donated uh, $50 million now to smallholder farmers uh, in uh, in Africa, also working with the World Food Program. Those $50 million, when we see the impact of uh, fertilizer in crop yields uh, and, and how that helps these uh, farmers to produce more food, and, uh, and I've been discussing this with uh, David Beasley at the World Food Program as well. If they were to come in and, and, and do this, it would have been costing six times uh, as, as much. Uh, and they need funding as, as well. So it's, it's about collaboration, but helping farmers to become more productive, to, to turn it into businesses so that they uh, are sustainable businesses. And I see it firsthand what happens when farmers get more money while they send their kids to school. They buy houses, they invest in their farming. So, so we all have a responsibility, uh, whether it's a business or a private individual. And uh, uh, if it continues like this uh, right now, where the wealthiest take a too large share of the wealth creation, it, uh, it will be a, a start of, uh, uh, of um, much more volatility in, in, in the world. And we see examples of that already. And just lastly, on, on this notion for a windfall tax on energy companies. Well, I, I cannot speak on behalf of the energy companies, but I can speak on behalf of our own company. And when we have made larger profits right now as a result of higher fertilizer prices, higher food prices, we also see it as a responsibility that we do contribute Part of that we're doing through the work directly with farmers, making tools available on digital farmings uh, so, so that we can uh, uh, have a more efficient use of the product, but also straight donations of money into vulnerable communities to help the ones that are, uh, are most at risk. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you. We've heard about how crop production is becoming more sustainable, but what about further down the food chain? What should we be doing with our leftover potato peel, kitchen waste and sludge? Well, Stefan Veneda is co-founder of Enwise, a firm which transforms all that into renewable, clean and affordable energy. Stefan, um, thanks ever so much for joining us on the agenda. First of all, tell us a little bit about what you do. So at uh, NYS, we do uh, anaerobic digesters that uh, we, we take um, wastes from organic wastes, especially in factories, and we turn them directly into energy and fa- fertilizer. The process we use is uh, anaerobic digestion. It's a natural decomposition uh, without the absence of o- oxygen that will produce a gas, biogas, which is an energetic gas a mixture between methane and CO2. How is this technology being used and and what would you say are the real benefits? 
So from the engineering point of view, we, we take the waste and turn it into pastes. is what we call the dry digestion because it's paste-like. And this allows to be much uh, more, uh, in a much denser and much more efficient than traditional wet uh, process. To give you an example of what we do, we, 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 take, um, we work with a world leader uh, potato chips manufacturer. And we take the sludge from uh, their wastewater treatment, so everything that comes out, all the solids that come up of so the wastewater treatment, and all the peelings from potatoes, and then we digest it and uh, turn them into this biogas and produce around 20% of the energy of the factory. So that's a net reduction of 20% of the energy usage from the factory, which is totally uh, zero carbon. So you're helping your customers hit their zero carbon targets, but do you think enough is being done to incentivize others to, to follow suit and reduce their environmental footprints? Our current customers are all top leading brands and uh, they are innovators and they are ready to take risk to become champion in the zero carbon industry because they know that uh, being uh, sustainable and zero carbon is uh, essential for them to build and reinforce their brand, a strong brand, and for the future, for the value of, the, of their company in the long term. Um, and then other companies which may uh, not have been such innovator or, or willing to, to take risk at that stage will benefit from their experience and for the maturing of the technologies. It seems like a no-brainer. So why isn't everyone doing it? So, and so we, we, we offer very attractive um, payback to our customer, around 20%, which is better than most of all the other things you can get in, in that. But uh, the, the technology and still, uh, still take time to, to, to develop and grow. I think uh, the example is like for uh, solar. Solar used to be much, um, much more expensive than uh, traditional energy, but now we have been through a green transition and solar is much cheaper. And the same thing is happening in uh, anaerobic digestion. And as the number of uh, reference grays and, and people think of the technology as less, uh, less risky or more, they're more used to it, and it will spread out. And I wonder if where you are is important, because you founded the company in, in 2012 um, and you decided to set up shop in Shanghai. Well, why is that important? So um, my, my wife and, and co-founder is Chinese and she wanted to, to have her family and our family uh, growing in, uh, in, in China. So basically it was a personal uh, decision more rather than a business decision. But it happened to be a very good choice because uh, right now we are in an environment in China with a huge push and a huge will for sustainability and this combined with a very, uh, very mature and complete supply chain, makes that it's an excellent position to develop green technology. China says it wants to become carbon neutral by 2060. Do you think that's realistic? Are they on target to hit that goal? In China, I've demonstrated this way to, to produce uh, incredible shunts in very short term and uh, to be very focused on this kind of topic. Uh, I mean, just in environmental protection, those last 12 years, what's happened is really impressive. And uh, I think this, this will follow. And um, yeah, so we, we, there is this, uh, this uh, supply chain, the industrial background is here, the political will is here. People are synchronized. I think it's, we all know it's tough 
and it, it won't be in a day. It will be maybe like some bumps in the road, but uh, I think that the direction is good and, and, and the resources are there. You've recently started a project with the China State Grid. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that, that's that's a really interesting uh, an interesting project. So the the big picture is to couple the gas network, natural gas network, with the electricity grid. So the idea is uh, we from biogas, uh, you can transform it into pure natural gas. So biogas is uh, methane plus carbon dioxide, and natural gas is only methane. So you can use electricity to produce hydrogen and combine it so that the CO2 turns into methane and you get pure natural gas. And then you can inject this natural gas on the gas grid and leverage the storage and transport capacity of the gas grid. And then you can take the gas and use hydrolysis, uh, um, uh, fuel cell to produce back electricity. So the idea in, is in zone where you have abundant source of um, of uh, clean electricity, they say uh, abundant wind or solar resource, but we, you may not have consumption. You can use and leverage this natural, the natural gas network to, um, to store electricity and then recover electricity in zones where, where you don't have this production. So we, we participate in the, the demonstration pilot in Lishui of this unit, and we have provided the anaerobic digestion part of the project. What advice would you give to, to any aspiring entrepreneurs who, who want to start something like NYS? We learn by walking. So the, the very first step and single step is just, just do it. And, and there will be a lot of um, problems that you didn't expect, but also a lot of uh, opportunities that you didn't see for a while. So yeah, I think really the thing is if you really want to do something, do it and, and things will just open up as you walk. So let's talk a little bit more about those opportunities. What's, what's next for, for NYSE? Do you have any more exciting projects planned? Yeah, we, we have a lot on, on our plate. So we, we mostly work with the top uh, brand in the food industry. And now we are deploying the solution in different factories in China and then uh, extending on the zone. So in uh, Southeast Asia and, and all Asia. And what's the time frame on that? So when do you hope to, to be um, up and running in, in those other regions? Uh, so, um, like, um, I mean, China is already ongoing and we're, we're spreading and uh, starting out of China next year. So this is clearly what you eat, sleep and breathe. You're very passionate um, about the business and, and about the goals. But do you think everyone else, the world, is, is taking the transition to sustainable energy seriously enough. I mean, what more would you like to see being done at yeah, meetings like the upcoming COP28 in Dubai, for example? Yeah, I think basically we can divide this uh, problem into three main group or actors. One is the uh, people, the general public. Second is the government. And the third is the companies, public or, or private. So. For the for the people, I think that the main role is uh, the main power they have that they can vote with their money. They can decide to purchase or to favor some product or uh, companies that, that have a sustainable um, a sustainable uh, way. Or and and this is extremely powerful because that will align all the interests of uh, of the companies. For 
for uh, the companies, I think they are some of I think the main actor in this uh, in this uh, transition, uh, as they have to promote the technology, change the way they um, the way they they think, the way they produce and develop this technology, and well, that was an, uh, the one of the incentives will be uh, of course the regulation from the government, and the second incentive is the fact that people will vote for them or not by buying their products. And for the government, I think their main role is about giving um, um, a um, legal and a normative framework that, that will push forward in, in the direction of a transition to zero carbon. So what would I expect for COP? I think mostly just, just produce policy and, and norms that, that push the industry in the right direction. Everything else will be done by the people and, and the companies. Stefan Veneda, thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Agenda podcast. Next week, as China prepares for its annual two sessions gathering, we'll speak to the presidents of Costa Rica and East Timor about their hopes for future relations with Beijing. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find more Agenda content on CGTN Europe's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Until next time, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on. Uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world. Can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.